Calvary's love will sail forever, bright and shining, strong and free, like an ark of peace and safety on the sea of human need through the hours of all the ages those tired of sailing on their own finally rest inside the shadow cast by Calvary's love across their souls. Calvary's love, Calvary's love, priceless gift Christ makes us worthy of. The deepest sin can't rise above. Calvary's love. Calvary's love can heal the spirit. Life has crushed and cast aside and redeemed till heaven's promise fills with joy once empty eyes so desire to tell the story of a love that loved enough to die burns away all other passions fed by Calvary's love becomes a fire. Calvary's love, Calvary's love, priceless gift Christ makes us worthy of. The deepest sin can't rise above. still remain so still take eternal passage sins atone and heaven gain sins atone and heaven gain sins atone and heaven Game. All right, boy, we're all going to go high tech on us tonight here. All right, high tech. Look at that. The Bible Truth series, that's what we've been dealing with and addressing. 
And so we're talking about standing firm in the midst of the storm. And so last week we started talking about some things. Let me see here. I'm going to get started here and get things moving along. I'm trying to see where my... There it is. Okay, finally. Okay, good. So let me see here. Let me go back a second. Yeah, that's good. All right. Okay, so last week we started talking about uh, we talked about the judgments, and we said that the first judgment was the cross. And, of course, it's a sin judgment we talked about. It's a sin judgment, and, of course, we noted that uh, for the believer it's threefold. We said one as a sinner, and we talked about the fact that it was a past judgment, that it took place back here somewhere. It wasn't in our present, but in the past. We said we're also, as believers, that judgment deals with us as sons. And we said that, well, when we sin against God willfully, when we choose not to obey the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's an element of chastening that takes place. And then finally, as a servant, that's the third way. And that leads us to judgment number two, which is the judgment seat of Christ. And so we're going to go ahead now for just a moment and run through a timeline and try to identify again where that takes place in Bible prophecy as well as in history. Uh, and so we note the cross here already. The next event that took place, of course, uh, the next event was the uh, resurrection of Jesus Christ, of course. And then from there, we had the church age that kicked off. So we have Jesus Christ dying, being buried, and rising again. We have the church age that then takes place. And uh, of course, uh, just so you see there, it's represented by those seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. But then we're going to have what's called the rapture at the end of that, that uh, church age. And we're going to see that uh, the Lord Jesus Christ is coming in the air. He's not going to come all the way to the earth. And that's kind of why there's like kind of a U-shape there. And then us leaving the earth. And uh, that going up. Now, that looks a lot better on my screen than it does that one. That one's kind of dark. But anyway, um, let's see here. And then, of course, we have the tribulation period that kicks off. Yeah, it looks a lot better on mine. But the tribulation period kicks off. And, of course, you see it's three and a half years and three and a half. We know that the first half is tribulation. The second half is great tribulation. And then uh, we're going to have the return of the Lord Jesus. Wow, you can't even see that. Uh, the return of the Lord Jesus Christ there at the end, all right? Now, again, that's the revelation. So you have the rapture here, then you have the seven-year tribulation, and you have the revelation. Now, here's the thing. In between there, again, while the tribulation is taking place on earth, there's what's called the judgment seat of Christ taking place in the heavenlies. All right, that's where the believers that have been raptured out or taken out of the earth now, after the church age, they're going to be up in heaven being judged at the judgment seat of Christ, while on earth, Israel's being judged in the earth, and uh, the Gentiles or uh, the Antichrist is going crazy down here. Then, of course, when the Lord returns in chapter 19 of the book of Revelation over there, we're coming back with him. Remember, we'll be on him, the white horse and all that good stuff. And so uh, we, we got all that taking place. So if I could, just real quickly again, we have the church age. We have the cross over there. We have the church age. We then have the rapture of the church. We go out. We have a seven-year tribulation period. And, and while that's taking place, up in heaven, those that were taken out of the rapture are being judged at the judgment seat of Christ. That's the body of Christ or the bride. 
and then Jesus Christ returns with us in chapter 19 of Revelation, and we have uh, the return of Christ, and he establishes and sets up the thousand-year millennial reign. Okay, so that's how that all goes. But we want to focus tonight on the, 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 the judgment seat of Christ, because that's our second judgment, and that's what we want to focus on. So this judgment is future. And uh, we're going to go ahead and have a quick word of prayer, and then we'll start by looking over this judgment and how it's going to go, what it's going to entail, that kind of thing. So let's have a word of prayer. Father, we come to you. We ask, Lord, you'd bless us tonight. May you just teach us something. May our hearts be inspired and encouraged. And Lord, may we leave here having known something, learning something that will make us better for you. We do love you. I pray you'd fill me with your spirit and enable me, Lord, just to be a blessing and a help. And Lord, may you just again anoint every listening ear that we may hear with spiritual ears. Now, Father, we love you and we thank you. In Christ's name, amen. Okay, so the judgment, that uh, judgment seat of Christ is a future judgment. And we see it re uh, represented in 2 Corinthians 5.10 when the Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Corinth and he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. One might say whether it be good or worthless, useless. And you'll note that the word we is in, 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 that, in that particular passage, but in that entire chapter, it's used 26 times. The we there in that particular passage has to do with you and I as believers. It has to do with every believer. All right, because we know that the, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and the fact is, is that churches are comprised of, baptized, of, of, of believers that have been baptized into the body of Christ, but also placed into a physical body, the church. Okay, listen, the, the, the baptism that we are baptized, that water up there, baptizes us into the body of the church, so to speak, but not the body of Christ. That takes place through the Holy Spirit baptizing us into the body of Christ. So the, the baptism is a visible, um, a visible um, uh, ordinance that reflects or, and shares what took place in our hearts and in our lives. So that baptism does nothing to get you to heaven at all, zilch. All right, but... Because of uh, the way the Lord set things up, he works and operates through the local church today. When we're baptized, we're placed into a local assembly. It's a way into the body of Christ here on earth. Not that one, but this one, this local church. Okay, so that's how it works. But this, we here in the judgment, or in this 2 Corinthians 5.10, is talking about church members, those that are already saved, already born again, that are part of the church, and he's speaking to them. He's not talking to lost people. He's talking to saved people. This judgment we're going to learn is for those that know Jesus Christ as their Savior, and it will take place after we've been raptured out of this earth. Okay, so the time of the judgment, we said, it's when the Lord comes, and we touched on that already, but in 1 Corinthians 4, 5, we learn a very important truth. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts, and then shall every man have praise of God. So we're going to see here until the Lord comes. That's when the judgment takes place, when He comes. And it's important to recognize that. Earlier in the chapter, this chapter in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul, he reminds the people of three different courts, if you will, that, that we have to address. First of all, the first court is the lower court. Okay, and again, it's not like, go look it up in the Bible, look up lower court. No, that's not what I'm talking about, okay? But what you're going to see is, is that it's the court of the opinion of others. The Apostle Paul said, but with me, earlier in the chapter, with me it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. 
It's a real small thing. What, what one commentator said or expressed, he said, Paul's words, really what Paul was saying is, as a matter of fact, guys, I just want you to know, it matters very little to me what you or any man thinks of me. That's what he's saying. But yet we know that people judge one another. We know in a sense that there's that element of the opinion of others. It happens all the time. And you're going to be, in a sense, judged like that as well. So will I. And people are going to come up to it with opinions about who and what they think we are. But Paul the Apostle saying, listen, you know what? I'm not really that concerned about it. Oh, absolutely, I care what you think, but I'm not going to compromise what I believe or what I preach in order to gain your acceptance. Because it doesn't matter to me how, what you think of me as much as it matters what God thinks of me. And now the second court is a higher court, and it's the court of one's own conscience. And Paul, again, is addressing this issue, and he says, yes, I judge not mine own self. He says that earlier in the passage as well. He said, I'm not judging myself. I'm talking about 1 Corinthians 14. And I'm going I'm to explain to you why I'm, I'm giving you this, because I think there could be some misunderstanding of that first phrase that we read already. But he says, okay, so that first court, it's a low court, yeah, but it's the court of the opinion of others. That's going to happen. Paul says, listen, I, I'm not worried about that. I don't really care uh, so much about what you believe. I care more about what God does. But also, there's this court of one's own conscience. And he says, yea, I judge not mine own self. Again, in 1 Corinthians 4, he states that. Now, is our conscience a safe guide? Now, of course, uh, Disney would say so, Jiminy Cricket. I mean, he's bouncing around. He's telling us, man, let your conscience be your guide. Right? Now, some of you are going, what in the world are you talking about? You've got to be my age to understand that. But anyway, uh, Paul says that it's not an accurate guide. Your conscience isn't necessarily an accurate guide. As a Christian, you should have an enlightened conscience. Don't misunderstand me. You ought to. And when it rebukes us and it tells us that we're wrong, we, we should obey it in that sense, right? I mean, when our conscience tells us you're disobeying God's word, you're, you're, you're disregarding the truth, we say, hey, okay, man, I got to get that right, okay? But, but uh, one would say, well, is that the Holy Spirit talking or is that your conscience? Well, I think it can be a combination of things at times. Okay, now, now, however, our conscience can also lead us astray. You know, there are people whose conscience has become seared, right? Even believers can get so far back in their sin and so into sin that pretty soon their conscience really doesn't serve them much of a purpose at all. Matter of fact, they can even excuse some of the sin that they're doing, and that wouldn't be good at all. So as a result, we have to be very careful. We have to be aware of that. But then there's that third court, and, and we would call that the Supreme Court. And the Supreme Court is the one, uh, is one uh, with, with the, the master, only Jesus Christ. He's the key. And that third court is, he that judgeth me, Paul said, is the Lord. That's what he says. He that judgeth me, he is the Lord. Well, it's, it's the Bema seat. It's the judgment seat of Christ that Paul's referring to here. And he's saying that, listen, someday I'm going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Matter of fact, each one of us is going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ. So Paul says then, and this is why I brought all this up. He said right off the bat, therefore judge nothing before the time. The time of what? The judgment seat of Christ. That's what Paul was getting at. I talked about all those little courts there because I was afraid someone might say, wait a second, how's come it says therefore judge nothing before the time, but we know for a fact that judgment begins at the house of God. Well, because once again, there's more going on here than meets the eye. Paul's saying, the Lord is the one who will judge. In the end, he's the one. He's going to sit in judgment on me one day, 
on, 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 on you one day. And so therefore, we shouldn't sit in judgment of someone else or we're taking his place. That's what he's basically saying. He's not contradicting a statement in 1 Corinthians 6, 5 either when he says, I speak to your shame. It is so that there is not a wise, is it, is it, is it so that there's not a wise man among you? No, not one that should be able to judge between his brethren. Remember in the church at Corinth, there was all kinds of problems and there was this just constant conflict. And Paul's like, why are you guys going to the courts of the world? Aren't you, does, isn't there anybody in this church that's wise enough to, to, to judge between right and wrong in the house of God? And that's what he's saying. There's a right, there's a wrong, there's good, there's evil. And if anyone in this life should be able to distinguish between them, it ought to be the believer, right? And that's what the Apostle Paul was getting at. Now, there are matters that need to be, that we must evaluate and judge. That's all there is to it, especially in the house of God. So what Paul is cautioning us about here is passing judgment. And why would he caution us about that? Because many times we fail to have all the facts and we're prone to being wrong. I mean, when's the last time, I mean, all of us could probably admit there was a time when we came to a conclusion about somebody or something and we then realized there was more to the story. Okay, then also, we're often clueless to the motives behind an act or an opinion. I mean, again, I understand that just because someone has a pure motive doesn't excuse their actions, but wait a second, God looks at the whole thing and God's going to be a judge that's righteous and we have a tendency sometimes to assume the worst of people even when they have the best intentions. God will judge us fairly. That's what Paul's trying to get across. He knows all the facts and he alone knows the heart like no other. And so before we pass judgment on others, he's basically informing us we need to be honest about our own shortcomings first. That's probably what we need to think about more than anything. I mean, the truth is that we probably know worse things about ourselves than those that we are quick to judge. If we're really honest and we look into our hearts, we could say, well, wait a second, before I go judging them, there's probably some things in my own life that's probably even far worse than what, you know, I'm trying to judge them on right now. And so, when Jesus Christ returns, the hidden works of darkness are going to be brought into the light. And listen, I mean, he's going to bring justice to the earth. He's going to bring justice, and it'll be served. And um, well, that's why we need to be extremely careful how we live our lives today. Because, you know, that judgment's coming. The place is in the air. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 17, Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. We're not, the judgment's not taking place on earth. It's taking place up there. It's taking place up there, in the air. So before the judgment seat, that's where it's going to take place. And of course, Christ is on that judgment. That's why it's called the judgment seat of Christ. It'll not be a judgment in the sense of a trial. It's not about innocence or guilt. It's not whether you're saved or lost. That's, that's not what's being addressed. That's not what's being dealt with in this particular judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. And we ask the question, well, why? Because it's, it's a judgment of the saved only. Remember, only those that are in Christ Jesus at his return or rapture are going up. Therefore, they're the only ones being judged. 
It's not a matter of are you saved or lost. You wouldn't go up if you were lost. Instead, it's going to be like judges standing at a fair where they, they kind of reward, the, the rewards are given to the successful contestants, you know? You ever been to a fair? It's not like, hey, by the way, you're in, you're out. It's just like, well, no, you get first place and you get second place, but, you know, it's not like, all right, off with their heads. It's not like that, okay? And so it's, it's not a judgment for sin, but for works. And it's described in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 11 through 15. And here's where we find the passage there in 1 Corinthians. It says, For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The results of this judgment is reward or loss. That's how it ends. Now again, those being judged are already on a foundation. And that foundation is Jesus Christ, according to the passage. What's being judged? It's the material that's been used in building on that foundation. What's the material? Gold, silver, precious stone, wood, hay, stubble. What are you actually building on that foundation? What are you building with? Now, every one of us is going to build on that foundation. You're going to build something on the foundation. The question is, what kind of material are you going to use? That's what he's actually saying. What kind of material? And notice that all our bad and dead works represented by wood, hay, and stubble are going to be consumed. They're going to be burned up. Only the good things will remain, and that's gold, silver, precious stones. Now again, there's a lot that passes for Christian service that really isn't. I mean, let's, let's just be honest, you know. Not everything that we do is really uh, about Jesus Christ. And if it's not really Christian service as God intended it to be, the Bible says that, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. You say, what's that mean? Well, first of all, what sort is? Is it gold, silver, precious stone? Or is it wood, hay, stubble? That's the first aspect of the sort. That's really what he's saying. You know, I know we, you know, and again, I'm not going to debate whether motives are important and all that. They are important. I'm not going to, I'm not debating that. But in the passage, it's pretty clear to me that what he's saying is what sort is it? Is it going to be gold, silver, precious stone, or is it going to be wood, hay, stubble? What are you going to build? How are you building? I mean, we've been through a number of building projects around here. And let me tell you, the material you used is very important. It matters. It matters in longevity and it matters in quality and all those things. And the fact is, is that he's asking and saying, listen, it, it matters what sort it is. What are you building with? Then, of course, we know that if our service is done for selfish motives or out of a heart of gratitude and not out of a heart of gratitude for the Lord, then that's not good either. I mean, I mean let's face it, we serve the Lord sometimes as believers so we can get a pat on the back maybe. We, we may do something on behalf of the Lord 
so that we can feel good about ourselves. So that we can ease our consciences. So we can say, well, okay, so I don't really do everything right over here, but I am teaching Sunday school here. Well, I don't know that that's gold, silver, precious stones, do you? That might be wood, hay, stubble. You say, but it's a good thing, and it is a good thing in the eyes of the world, but remember, if it's not of the Lord, and it's not solely done with the right purpose and cause and with the right motivation, then it could be a very selfish one. And if it's not done by faith, then it's sin. Galatians 6, 7 says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. We're not fooling God ever. We're going to reap what we sow, good, bad, or indifferent. That's the way it is. For those who deserve a reward, it's going to be the crowning day. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. He says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. Every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. You know, after the Grecian games uh, had come to a conclusion, the... Uh, contestants, the runners, the wrestlers, the, those that were involved in the games would assemble before what was called the bema. Uh, it was the judge stand, if you will, the judge's stand. And there they would stand and they would wait to receive uh, their either, you know, their corruptible crown. It was a crown of laurel leaves. It went around their head. I mean, they worked out all year long. They got in the best shape they could possibly get in, and they went ahead and competed, and then they waited and hoped that they themselves would come in first or win the laurel leaf, that they would win the corruptible crown. Now, some got, didn't receive any rewards at all. Some of them didn't place, if you will. Remember the fair we talked about earlier? They didn't get the victor crown. They didn't have that corruptible crown of laurel leaves. But while there was no reward, there was no punishment either. They weren't cast out because they didn't finish first. And that's important to remember. Turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 14 and 15. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. Now, we've already looked at this passage a little bit, and we've read it, but let me, let's look at the last couple verses, because it's really important to recognize and understand. I think these are some of the, this last verse, verse 15, to me is one of the most powerful, we talk about eternal life verses or eternal security verses. I think it's one of the best. Look at it in 1 Corinthians 3, 14 and 15. If any man's work abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Again, pointing to this judgment, the judgment seat of Christ. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss, but he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. I don't know about you, but that, that gets me kind of excited. Now, I'm not saying that it ought to make us feel like we can just coast in this life. 
We shouldn't say, well, you know what, either way, I'm saved. It don't matter what I do now. No, that's not how it goes. Remember, there's still chastening that God will take care of. He'll take care of the business. I mean, we don't want to get in that spot. We want, to, we want to please the Lord with our life. We want God to be honored by it. We want to be more fearful of breaking his heart than we do of getting a spanking by his hand. I mean, you know what I'm saying? But the truth is, is that our salvation is secure in Jesus Christ. It's not about you and I keeping it to ourselves or keeping it safe in our own possession. No, it's all the Lord. As, and again, as reassuring as this passage is concerning our eternal salvation, every believer ought to long to earn rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. So the New Testament speaks of five crowns. The first one is the crown of life. And this is what we often refer to as the martyr's crown. It's mentioned twice in Scripture. It's in the book of James 1.12. And Revelation 2.10. You can turn to James 1.12 if you like. Let's take a look at these. I mean, we'll take just a few moments and look at them. We don't have a lot of time, but let's, let's do our best. Here we are in James chapter 1, verse 12. Then we're going to turn in just a moment. We'll, we'll skip right over to Revelation real quick, but that'll be, that's not too hard to find from there. But James, it's, it's hidden in there in that New Testament up there. He said, blessed is the man that endure temptation, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endure temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Then we also see in Revelation 2.10. This one's important because this one's going to address, focus on a group of people that are going to face a really difficult time. Revelation 2.10 Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Notice it doesn't say until death. It says unto death. They're not to recant but instead to remain faithful. Faithful unto a martyr's death. That's what the passage is talking about there in Revelation. Now, I understand we can get into this idea, well, okay, so if you die to self in the flesh, you know, you say no to yourself, you crucify the flesh daily, do you get that crown? I, I don't know. I mean, some have surmised, some have even said possibly that's the case, but I pretty much lean to unto death. I mean, just unto, not until, but unto. And um, in this case, in the tribulation period, we know that these martyrs are going to have to withstand and withhold and re be faithful to the very end. Because uh, if they take the mark of the beast, of course, we know that's going to end bad for them. So if they recant, they're going to lose the crown. The first crown is the crown of life. The next crown that we see is the crown of glory. Often this is referred to as the elders or the pastor crown. It's going to be given by the chief shepherd when uh, he's going to appear. And uh, again, it's, it's not for those, as the Bible talks about, that serve for filthy lucre's sake, uh, but it's for those, as it says in the scriptures, that, uh, you know, that have served the Lord Jesus Christ faithfully 
Um, again, not that lorded over his heritage, that kind of thing. But in 1 Peter 5, 2 through 4, because of time, let me read it. It says, Feed the flock of God which is among you. Take the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of ready mind. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being in samples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. The crown of glory, again, then, in its context, addresses and deals with elders and pastors. Okay? Then there's another crown, the crown of rejoicing. This is an interesting one. We've had a uh, memory verse not long ago that, well, fits right in here. As a matter of fact, it is in here. Turn to 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. We, we looked at one of these, one of the verses here. It's in our, our list of verses for the year. Notice what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. We're going to read verses 19 through 20. Again, this is the soul winner's crown it's often referred to, and uh, those we bring to Jesus Christ are going to be our crown of rejoicing at His coming. That's what it's implying. He, he, they're literally going to be our crown. Look at this, 1 Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? We know that the Apostle Paul was under a tremendous burden and experiencing a lot of persecution. But he says to them in 1 Thessalonians, he says to the church there, what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? I mean, we're putting up with all this mess. We're dealing with all this heartache and trouble. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. In Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my beloved uh, therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dear beloved. Listen, I believe that those who we lead to the Lord Jesus Christ, in a sense, are our crown. They're our crown of rejoicing. Can you imagine how it's going to be up in heaven to know that you had a part in leading someone to Jesus Christ? I mean, that's going to be forever. That's not something that goes away. You know, we do something on this earth that maybe somebody pats us on the back for or, or, or awards us for, and truthfully, let's be honest, those little trophies go away over time. Things get kind of swept under the rug. Time kind of causes us to even forget about certain things. But in eternity, man, those people will be there forever. Hey, remember? Oh, yeah, praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God. I'm not saying we're going to go around going, hey, yeah, wasn't I a great soul winner? That's not what I'm talking about. Let me tell you something, to be able to lay those crowns, so to speak, and take those folks and say, Lord, I did it all for you. That's going to be good. Crown of rejoicing, soul winner's crown. Then the crown of righteousness. This crown is of those, uh, for those who love his appearing. They love his appearing. It'll be given in that day, the day of his appearing, the day he returns. 2 Timothy 4.8, Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, Paul says, but unto all them also that love is appearing. And I want that crown. Little Billy's mom had been baking all afternoon, and sure, he, he got a couple of cookies here and there, but man, they were just so good. He couldn't resist them. So into the kitchen he went. He kind of acted like he was getting something to drink, you know. And his eye was actually focused on that jar of cookies on the shelf. 
He stuck his head around the corner and he looked for mom. Well, he didn't see her and so he thought, hmm, time for a cookie. So he went over and he grabbed a little chair and he slid the chair up over by the counter there and he climbed up and he reached that shelf where the cookies were. And he paused for just a moment and he thought, hmm, nothing. Nothing. So he slowly removed the top. He took a deep breath. And he listened again. No one's coming. So he slowly put his hand in the jar. And he thought, I'm good to go. And as his hand went in the jar and he took hold of that cookie, his mother entered the room. What are you doing, mister? Billy's heart sank and he about fell off the chair. You know that no one wants to get caught with their hand in the cookie jar, so to speak. You say, well, what's the point? Do you know that Jesus is coming back? But if your hand is in the cookie jar, you probably aren't anxious for him to return, just like Billy wasn't anxious for his mom to show up. Now, hold on now. The crown, remember that crown? That crown is for those who love his appearance. If your hand's in the cookie jar, if you're doing things you're not supposed to be doing, you're probably not loving the thought of him appearing. Can you honestly say, I look forward to his return and I will love his appearing? Or is your hand in the cookie jar? The fifth one is the crown incorruptible. The crown incorruptible. Remember we talked about that It's called the victor's crown, but remember we talked about the crown that those Olympians would get. It was a corruptible crown, right? And we already read about it earlier. And he said that every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible crown. And so Paul says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. He's saying this crown is for those who keep under their body. Or who would say, uh, we would say maybe like, don't yield to their fleshly lusts. It's a crown for those who don't permit themselves to be distracted or diverted from the master's work by worldly pleasure. Hmm, that's pretty good. It's the crown incorruptible. Five crowns, the crown of life, the crown of glory, the crown of rejoicing, the crown of righteousness, and the crown incorruptible. The judgment seat of Christ. So what's the negative side of this judgment? Sounds all good, doesn't it? Well, we don't want to be found ashamed of this coming. In 1 John 2.28, we can read about that because of time we're going to move on. You could write that down if you want to look it up, but, and it's a great verse. But in 1 John 2.28, we don't want to be found ashamed of this coming. A loss of potential reward. Lose what we could have had. We, we're coasting along, I mean, moving along real good, and all of a sudden we put the brakes on, and we take a turn, and all of a sudden that's when Jesus shows up. Wow, that'd be a bummer. A loss of potential reward. 
Failure to receive God's full approval. Well done, thou good and faithful servant, is what we seek to hear. Wouldn't it be sad not to hear it? And finally, that helpless feeling of, I wish I would have. I can't imagine, and, and again, I, I, hope, I hope I can get there and not feel this way, but man, I tell you what, to measure up to God's standard, I feel like, man, I'm so miserably short of that. I just, but to get up there and think, I wish I would have served the Lord. I wish I would have given better. I wish I'd have worked harder. I wish I'd have memorized more. I wish I'd have prayed more. I wish I would have served more. I wish I'd have just lived for Jesus more. Boy, that, that's going to be a horrible thing. So in conclusion, the return of Christ is drawing ever near, isn't it? And for every believer, it's coming ever near. And when it comes, it's going to usher in everlasting life. How we live today sets the stage. It determines, actually, our futures. We could read scripture that would prove that. We could talk about that at length. But the fact is, is that what we do today determines how God uses us tomorrow, so to speak. And by the way, fate has no place in the judgment. It's not chance. Because success and failure rest solely on our shoulders. It's up to us. We determine how it turns out based on our attitude and based on our actions. The judgment seat of Christ. That's the second judgment that we're talking about. That first one was the cross. And on that cross, our sin was judged. Is dealt with. The second judgment, the judgment seat of Christ, our service will be addressed and dealt with. May God help us to serve the Lord Jesus Christ the way we ought to serve Him. So that one day when we get to heaven, we'll have no regrets. No regrets. Father, we come to you. We thank you again for the time that we've had in the Word, the simple truths that were just found in your, the pages of the Bible. We ask, Lord, that you would just uh, speak to our hearts now and